0: Right now I want to introduce you, oh yes. I'm nice. uh, going to introduce you to Grace, Grace Kim. She is a, a, a wife to Herman and a, a mother to Karis, but she's, before all of that, her, her name was Grace Lee. Uh, and she's going to give us a word for today. Let's welcome up uh, Grace. Yeah, I uh, actually stand before you um, as a testimony. I know that you guys probably seen it on Facebook here and there, but um, pretty much five years ago, uh, Pastor myung prophesied that I would preach one day. And uh, even that was a little bit crazy because um, I don't know if you guys know our story, but Herman and I, we kind of got married, did all of that in three months. And so the first day we had... The talk um, he felt like God was leading him to invite me to Sydney with him to go on a missions trip with New Philly to Sydney which was the first one that happened back in 2009 and I don't know why PC said yes because it was like one week out um, to them departing but he said yes so thank you PC and then Pastor Mina actually found a ticket on the plane which was also pretty crazy and out in Sydney, that's when Pastor Mywa gave me that word. And so here I am. God is just amazing, God is faithful. And so um, yeah, why don't I open us up in prayer? Uh-huh. God, I thank you so much um, for every single person in this sanctuary, God, I thank you. for them, God, I thank you that God, that this is such a privilege. For me to stand before them, to preach your word. God, I pray that you would anoint my lips, that your word would be spoken, that everything that is from you, God, would be planted deep within their hearts, that it would multiply a hundredfold, but God, that whatever is not of you would just fall to the ground. Use me as your vessel, God. Thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, <laughs> start So today, the word that I want to bring to you is on kingdom order. So if you guys can open your Bibles with me to Haggai 1, um, 2 through 9. Or 1 through 2, verse 9. That's Haggai chapter 1. Through chapter two, verse nine. It's the third to last book of the Old Testament. Everybody there? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore... The heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of their Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God, On the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the All nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen. So in this passage, I believe that there's a clear kingdom order. To the way that God wants us to do things. It says, in his word, it says, determine the times and the seasons. Look up. Look around you. Determine the times and the seasons that the Lord has ordained. And stop building your own house. Stop building your own house. God says it's time for us to build his house. It's time for us to build the kingdom of God on this earth. And so God is asking us, determine our season and respond accordingly. It says in this passage, it emphasizes, consider your ways. What are we doing right now? How are we living? Are we living according to the season that God has ordained in our lives? Are we walking up the steps in divine order that God has laid out for us? The word, uh, the phrase that God has been giving me as I intercede um, is, put your house into order. Put your house into order. And why do we need to put our house into order? It's because in order to build God's house, us, the living stones, the very building blocks of God's house, we need to get our act together. So I believe that God is telling us to start putting things in order in two specific areas of our lives. So the first one is our relationship with God. And the second one is our relationship to others. So first, we must relate to God in kingdom order. That's my first point. We must relate to God in kingdom order. God is a God of order. Amen? Amen. He does not like chaos. He, When he sets out to do something, when his word goes forth, there's a clear plan. There's a clear order and a timeline to things that he sets forth to do. And obviously, the most foundational part of our faith is to put God first above all else. Right? The first and greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's everything that we are. Everything that we have, we must do to love the Lord our God. In Matthew 6, 33, it says this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then he will give us everything else that we need. But this is pretty foundational, right? And so I just want to get into some of the practical things that I feel like God wants to put Um, in order for us to relate to God. The first uh, area we need to bring back to order is in prayer. And I feel like the the correct order of prayer is this. It's God-initiated. It's never us-initiated. It's never us feeling like, oh, I need to pray this. I need to intercede this way. It's actually God calling us into the place of prayer. And without God's grace in our lives, it's just impossible to do so. And so I actually just want to share that there was um, a time in my life where God actually took my intelligence away for about four months. And it really, it really happened. So, (laughs) So whatever God gives you, he really can take that away, right? And so during this time where God took away my intelligence, what happened was literally I couldn't walk anymore. I stumbled over everything. I would trip over my own feet. I would trip over everything. Um, I couldn't eat like a normal adult, I would, it would just get all over me. I couldn't hold a normal conversation in a group setting because I couldn't, everyone was talking too fast for me. You know, like, I couldn't get one worded because it was just happening all too fast. I couldn't add, at the time I was an, an administrator for a mega church, I couldn't add. Um, a lot of, there was just this cloud over my head And I think the most crazy part of that time period was that I couldn't form the words to pray. Uh, I had all these things that I wanted to say to God, but I couldn't form the words. It just, it was too hard. It was too difficult. And it was during that time where God really showed me, wow, without His grace to draw me into His presence, without his grace to actually give me the words to pray to him, it's actually just impossible to pray. And now prayer is God-initiated. So every morning I would lay in bed, I would wake up, and I, all I could say by my spirit was, I depend on you. I can't do anything without you. And so prayer is this. It's just our demonstration of complete dependence upon him. Prayer is our worship unto God. Prayer is our thanksgiving unto God. Um, I've heard testimonies where people who can interpret tongues, they'll interpret most people's tongues, and they say that it's actually worship and praise unto God. That like the angels and the elders in heaven, what we're doing when we pray in tongues is, is worshiping God. It's thanking God for the things that he's done in our lives. Prayer is also more than just a spiritual discipline. Uh, When we think of the word discipline, it has a lot of negative connotations. You know, it takes discipline for us to do something that we don't really want to do, but we know it's good for ourselves, so we we just kind of force ourselves to do it. But if we really think about it, if our relationship with God is truly out of a place of intimacy, it's out of a place of, wow, we love you, God. I adore you, God. Would it really take so much of our effort to kind of go, hey, God, you know, this is how my day was. To check in with him, to be like, is there anything in our relationship that is displeasing to you? Is there anything that I did? Is there anything that I can do to make things right between us? You know, like, if if I said it takes discipline for me to talk to Herman, I think everyone would be like, that's kind of ridiculous, right? (laughs) Like, because I have that intimacy with Herman, I can just freely come up to him and, you know, share my life with him. And I feel like that's what prayer should be when we go before God. And it's when our relationship with God is on track that intercession or anything else can flow. Because we have that intimacy with God, we can ask God, Hey God, what's on your heart? And from that place, God will freely share with us, This is on my heart. Pray for these things. You know, God calls us to pray and God gives us the topics to pray And then leads us through those prayers. Tells us how long we should pray for those things. And that is why I feel like the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's not because he's just righteous. It's because he has that intimacy with the Lord. And so therefore, when he prays, God can answer him powerfully, effectively, and quickly. Um, The second area now uh, we need to bring back into order is how we view anointing and spiritual giftings. There is nothing wrong with desiring these things. It's great. It shows us a way to relate to God in a way where we're like, God, you're so powerful that you can use us to partner with you. But what I want to stress is that so often we desire these things without wanting the character to be able to store it. You know, being anointed or having these spiritual gifts, it does not make us a superhero, right? God gives us spiritual gifts To those that ask, because those are gifts. But regardless of where we are when we ask for those things, we must want to have spiritual maturity and character development as well. You know, sometimes it's uh, the immature or the ones that don't know how to properly store these gifts or anointing are given gifts and anointing. All right, look at the life of Saul, for, (laughs) for instance. But as gifts are gifts, God chooses to give to those um, he desires. But we need to remember that just because someone has certain gifts, it doesn't necessarily reflect their character or maturity. And therefore, that should sober us up as well. Um, I feel like this point or this revelation really hit home for me. Uh, Several years ago, um, right around the time that I first got married, Someone laid hands on me and they prayed for me. And as they were praying for me, they... So this person is very gifted in intercession, very gifted in prophecy. And they laid hands and they prayed for me. And they said, Grace, you know, Herman, he's ready to go. He's ready to run. But you, you're not there yet. And some of the stuff that he... uh, What that person said (laughs) (laughs) right after was... um, pointing to like my abdomen area and I was like, it's weak. This area is weak. And what I should have done was reject those things because they were not from a place of love. They were not from a place of edification. But what I did was I placed greater importance on her giftings because I knew she was gifted. She was on point. She was right on. I knew that God used her in the place of intercession. I knew that God used her for the gift of prophecy. But At the time, I also knew that relationally, that she did not fully love me. There were things going on in that person's heart where when they exercised this gift, it wasn't out of a place of love. And so what actually happened was soon after, I came really ill in my stomach. There was so much pain that I would just kind of keel over and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't eat. And so I went into the ER and they couldn't tell me what was wrong. They, um, thousands of dollars of tests later, they still couldn't really tell me what was wrong. And what actually healed me was a prayer of a friend. And I was just kind of, you know, walking in my house, and there was, one, at one point, God just gave me this revelation. That it was actually that prayer, not prayed over me out of a place of love, that turned into a curse. And therefore, it was only god that could heal me from that and so it really really stuck to me that without love that we should never exercise spiritual gifts and that is why first corinthians 13 it starts with love and it ends with um, spiritual giftings everything must flow out of love and so from that my greatest i feel like life phrase is desire the fruits of the spirit more than the gifts of the spirit so desire the fruits of the Spirit more than the gifts of the Spirit. Okay. Um, now, the third area we need to pay attention to, kingdom order, is, is, is in how we receive prophecy. Um, how many of you guys, I feel like, have received like epic, awesome prophecies before? Right? <laughs> <clears throat> but, feel like... Our reaction to often um, awesome prophecies should never be from a place of pride. And I feel like we probably all kind of learned that. Because if we look at the scriptures, um, it's the humble that God honors. It's the humble that God exalts. And usually for us to be so humble that God can bring his words to come to pass, it's usually a very hard road. Um. (laughs) But it's usually during those... um, that season of training, that God gives us the testimonies, that God makes us wise, that God builds us um, that character. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier how God took away my intelligence. So that whole thing, it started actually from a prophecy that I received from my roommate at the time. She was also kind of like my disciple or my mentor. It wasn't official, but she just had that place in my life at the time. And she the prophecy that she gave me was this. She said, God is going to merge your spirit, body, and mind. And at the time, I was like, that sounds awesome because my mind can do all of these things. I can dance like a superstar. I can sing like a diva. Like, all of these things I could just do in my mind. And I was like, my body just can't do it, though. In my mind, I'm great. But my body is just hasn't caught up to that yet. So I was like, wow, if it merges, I'm going to just... I'm going to be a superstar. I'm going to do crazy things for God. And what pretty much happened was after I received that prophecy, there was one evening where I was sitting on a bouncy, like, you know, those big gym bouncy balls. And I was talking to my roommate. And I was like, hey, remember that prophecy? Blah, blah, blah. I was talking to her. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Wow, I just, it hasn't been too long where I got hit with the fire, where God gave me these spiritual giftings, and he gave me a taste of what it could be like. But really, where my spiritual giftings are at, it's at the baby stages. Mm-hmm. It's, he's training me in how to use it. I have no idea what my gift, like what this is, what this is really. And as soon as I had that revelation, I, lo- I kid you not, something just in me went, boom, 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 boom. and it just like, I, I knew that that word just came to pass in me. And it didn't go, boo, 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 boo. It was up here, it was down here. And as soon as that happened, my intelligence went out the window. Everything that I thought was going to be super great, I became a complete baby. And God was showing me from step one that it's, hey, depend upon me. Everything flows out of me. And so, um, you know, the greatest pitfall to receiving prophecy sometimes is the way we interpret it. So I thought, maybe, what's my golden rule for receiving prophecies? And I came up with these three things. And the first is receive prophecy from a place of humility. Receive prophecy from a place of patience. And lastly, by throwing out your understanding of the English language or whatever language you heard the prophecy in. Uh, Why I say that is because the more we try to define God's word, with our understanding of his divine plan through our fleshly grid, uh, we're just going to completely end up missing the mark. <clears throat> and a lot of times, you don't even understand what it takes for those prophecies to come to pass. And so a lot of times, um, so a lot of you guys were saying that you've received awesome, epic prophecies before. But haven't you noticed that usually after you receive these epic prophecies, that everything in the natural is the complete opposite? And it kind of makes you wonder, God really was that you? (laughs) You know, there was a time when I received words that I would be, you know, launched into public ministry, that God would show me off because he was, you know, proud of me and he trusts me and all these things. And immediately what happened well, I went through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> and that valley was so deep, there was no light. You know, and I was like, what public ministry, what light am I ever going to see? You know, and sometimes even that was so hard that I was like, you know, this place is okay, God. Right? You kind of get to a voice where you're like, this is okay. But in those times, we actually have to remember God's goodness. He gave us those promises to give us something to hold on to, to give us hope to carry us through the hard times. So PB, uh, he calls this God's promise preempting the enemy's attack. The enemy knows, I think, our destinies better than we know it ourselves. Because once God's words goes forth, the enemy will throw everything he has to make you believe that you don't want to actually walk this out, to make you give up. And so even if I received a prophecy about preaching one day five years ago, if I didn't believe it, when Pastor Caleb and Mina asked me to preach, I would have just said no. And that would have just been the end of it. Right? But if we look at Jesus, he is an amazing example of what trusting in God's goodness to carry out his word looks like. Right? To just break down what his prophecy really was, was, I'm going to send you down there so that you can die so that you can save the world, but don't worry. I'll raise you up from the dead, I promise. (laughs) All right? How many of you, if you received a prophecy like that, would have been like, all right, I'll go. But he voluntarily was beaten and crucified on the cross for us, believing in God's word. And that is why we're all here today. You know, God has a specific timeline and order in which he desires to carry out his word Even if we feel like that order changes every time with every word that he gives, know that God is in control, that that there is a specific order to it. Sometimes it takes a few days to come to pass. Sometimes a few months, sometimes years. But in those times, you must hold on to the truth that what God has spoken, he is faithful to carry out. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent him. Amen. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm going to talk about the second area that God desires us to put into order, which is in our relationships. So the second point is this. Relate to others in kingdom order. For us to build this house, we need to get our relationships into order. Now how do we do that? First and foremost, relate to the people in your lives according to the measure of grace God has given you. According to the measure of grace God has given you. In Ephesians 4, 1-7, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There was one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So verse 7, once again, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know, there is an order that God has set in our relationships, Right? If you look at the people in our lives, some were saved when they were very young. Some were saved in their adulthood. Some were given, you know, more authority before you, even though you got saved first. Some people get married first. Some people get married later. You know, some people have kids first, right? But all of this, it is a measure of God's grace being played out in each one of our lives. You know, when you look at your neighbor and you judge them by saying, how come they're like this? How come they're still struggling with that? You know, how come they just can't shift? You know, all of these things. You know, and you go, you know, I don't struggle with that. You know, remember that you are able to do the things in your life the way that you can do it and how quickly you can do it because that's God's grace in your life. It's not because we're better, it's just because of the measure of grace God has given us. Grace is undeserving. Grace is a gift. You know, whenever you think, hey, I'm pretty great, remember why you're pretty great. It's God's grace. When we realize the measure of um, God's grace in our lives, you know, we can't judge somebody else. Right? God's grace always writes a testimony in our lives, whatever that may look like. Amen? So secondly, we must relate to others in kingdom order by putting Others first and putting off selfishness. Philippians 2 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And the second greatest commandment is this love your neighbor as yourself. So I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you guys are crying out for breakthrough in some area of your life? I expected everyone to raise their <laughs> hands, um, but I want to make a suggestion. How about crying out for the breakthrough of the brother or sister sitting next to you more than you do for yourself? You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for the people that pray prophetically, for the people that hear from God as they pray for other people, you realize that, you know, I can hear uh, from God a lot better for my sister or for my brother than myself. And usually that's because, you know, our selfishness, our soul is not mixed into it. We can purely edify and encourage and hear from the Lord for our brother and sister, right? And so I just feel like, you know, in this covenant community, that's our greatest blessing. Like all of us, we can hear from the Lord. And so I want to encourage um, each and every one of us to submit each other's burdens to one another. You know, carry each other's burdens. Cover one another. If you cover them, God will cover you. And so, I don't know if you guys know, but I was able to meet the author of The Ambassador of God. If you guys haven't read uh, this book, I highly recommend it. Um, But... Ambassador Kim, the author of the book, he is just an amazing intercessor, Alright, So the one, the people that have read this book, you guys know how his prayers just shifted nations and how God has used them powerfully. But this man, he was sharing with me that he prays for 300 people every day. And that list, it changes based upon how God leads him. And so sometimes... You know, people come off that list. Sometimes people get added to that list. And I think the greatest part of me revising his book is that I'm on that list. (laughs) But he prays for 300 people every day. So you can imagine that doesn't really leave much room for him to pray for himself. But after his retirement, he started traveling all around the world. Wherever God would say, you know, go here, he would go. And then he would find out that over here in this part of the country... There were like tens, hundreds of people praying for him. And then he would go to some other country, and it would be the same thing. And he would wonder, why are they praying for me? Like, they could be praying for the president of their country. They could be praying for somebody that actually affects their lives. But they were praying for him. And that's when God showed him that when you cover others as God leads, God covers you. God leads other people to pray for you. So I encourage you to pray for others as God leads, more than for yourself. You know, if everyone in our church was doing this, and we even had a small group that we would always pray for one another, like four or five people, if you think about it, if you didn't spend that time praying for yourself, but you prayed for those four or five people every day, instead of you just praying for yourself once a day, you would have four or five people praying for you that day. You've just multiplied your prayer exponentially. So in this season, I encourage you, ask God who you can pray for. Right? If each of us did this, I really believe that every one of us would be covered. Um, and so the third way we must relate to one another um, in, or relate to others in kingdom order is by exercising your authority to forgive and reconcile. Um, so take time right now to think of somebody that you you might have hurt or somebody that um, has hurt you? Have you fully forgiven them? Have you reconciled with them? Whether it be something um, that happened recently or from years past, God is asking us to take the steps to forgive and reconcile with these people, not for them, but for you, so that you can be right with God. In Matthew 5, 21 through 24, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, the judgment that God gives to the people who have relational conflict, right, as stated in the uh, passage that I just read, that the Bible likens the judgment given to those that have relational conflict to those that murder. God does not desire worship or sees us fit for building his house when we have not properly forgiven or reconciled with our brothers and sisters. So we must go and put our relationships into order by forgiving and reconciling so we can build God's house. And lastly, relate to others in kingdom order because you trust in the Lord. Invest in people you wouldn't normally. Honor your parents. Submit to your authority because you trust in the Lord. Invest in the people that you think are socially awkward. People that you think wouldn't really naturally be your friends. Love on the people that you consider unlovable because trust in the Lord that he has placed them in your lives. He has placed them in your midst as a gift. Learn to honor your parents. Be grateful for your parents because you trust in the Lord that he has divinely chosen them to be your parents. Learn to submit to authority because you trust in the Lord. You know our greatest struggle when we submit to authority is, is when you think somebody is right or somebody is wrong, and usually you think you're right, and so it's hard for you to submit to authority. But trust in the Lord that the God, that God has divinely placed these leaders in your lives in this season for a specific breakthrough that God wants for you. Right or wrong. God doesn't really care in the sense that God cares more about your heart. God wants to see that you trust in him. So you submit to your leaders because you trust that God has placed them over you. At the end of the day, if your heart is to honor your leader by submitting to them as an act of trust in the Lord, God will bless you even more abundantly in that situation. So submit to your leaders and really discover the ways in which God can bless you. So when we start to put things into order and obedience to God's word, there is a huge, huge blessing to be reaped. God promises us everything we need to build his house. God promises us an outpouring of his spirit. So if you guys can take a look at um, the passage that we read earlier, Haggai, if I could have you guys in unison read Um, Chapter two, verses six through nine. Ready? Begin. I've hit a lot of points. I've given you a lot of things to chew on, right? But why all of these things? Why put our house into order? Because revival is coming. You know, we've been talking about the second wave of the tsunami, right? It's coming, it's coming. We've been talking about it since the first wave hit in October. Last October, if you guys remember, God just poured out his spirit onto our campus. We saw fire every week. We we just had an amazing and powerful leadership retreat. And then we're like, you know, this is not it. A lot of us left that month going, is that it? That can't be it. There's so much more. So this, this second wave is coming, and it's no coincidence that the Icha team called themselves second wave. Right? But God is calling us all to rise up together at this hour. Take your place. We need to do this together make that commitment to stop building your house and put your house into order because each one of us are playing a key part in building god's house none of us can do this alone you know at new philly we've been prophesying we've been declaring isaiah 60 In isaiah 60 verse 1 it says arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the lord has risen upon you the glory of the lord it's amazing right Just like breakthrough and revival are great and it's awesome. But if we aren't ready, we'll get swept away by this powerful wave, by the power of his glory. God's glory is weighty. It's heavy. You know, a friend of mine who can interpret tongues, he told me that my warfare tongue, all I kept repeating was glory, glory, glory. And really, that gave me a revelation of how powerful God's glory really is. It's not just bright lights and angels singing, you know, but it's powerful. It's what pierces through darkness and breaks the yoke of sin. It's powerful, it's militant, it's aggressive, God's glory. And when the glory of God rises upon us, it will be amazing for everyone who's ready. You know, it says, arise and shine for your light has come. When God's glory comes and we're ready, we're going to reflect that light like a boss. You know? (laughs) God's glory is going to come and we're just going to reflect that light onto this earth and we're going to be like, hey, we're partnering with God for the things that he has planned to make it happen on this earth, right? But what happens to those that aren't ready? You know, this glory, this magnificent light, it exposes the darkness. It exposes everything that we try to hide from God and hide from others. But even this exposing is the grace of God. Because he's not allowing us to just be left alone in the folly of our own sin. But there are very different consequences to those that respond to God and obey to God right now. Addressing the things that God wants us to address. Putting our house into order when God is telling us to put it in order. And those that just wait until the last minute and have no other choice but to submit to God's word. So we all need to practice carrying the weight of God's glory. We need to practice that now, so that when it comes in its fullness, we have grown the strength to continue to carry it, to store it. You know, we all cry out for revival and breakthrough without sometimes truly knowing the weight of what that means. And sometimes it doesn't come to pass the way we imagine it. Breakthrough might already be in our midst, but we aren't able to recognize it because we don't know what it looks like. That's because our eyes are so fixed on ourselves. Right? Our eyes are so fixed on the wrong things, and it's focused on building our own house. How much money can I make? Who can I talk to 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 get that next connection? You know, what Facebook status can I write? Right? But take your eyes off of yourself and look up arise. The, the order that God brings uh, things to come to pass, it's very different to what we want or imagine. But be alert to know when God is moving. Therefore, discern the seasons and the times. Consider your ways. Stop building your house in vain. It says in Psalms one, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. So stop building your own house, but tidy it up. Get rid of the clutter so you can see beyond yourself. The time is now to build his house. His glory will come when his house is built. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's close our eyes. Guys, let's just make a commitment before the Lord saying, I will stop building my own house, God. I will put my house back into kingdom order so that I can build your house. When your glory comes, I don't want to get swept away. Help me respond to you, God. Help me respond to you now. Let's make that confession before the Lord. Let's pray.